book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8. We left off with verse 4. We're teaching it verse by verse, and we'll begin with verse 5. Uh, I think, though, we must uh, actually go ahead and read uh, verses 2 through 5 to get the connection, because verse 5 is connected with what we find there. So let's pick up reading with verse 2. It says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. So we said that the we're to obey the laws of state and government. And as Jesus said, rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We're taught in the New Testament to uh, also obey the civil laws. In Romans chapter 13, you read it's a whole study of that. In verse th- 3, it says, Be not hasty to go out of his sight, and stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. It says, Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who... Who may uh, say unto him, What doest thou? So we're to be obedient to the king and to the king's laws because it's our obligation as Christians and as citizens to do so. In verse 5 it says, Whoso keepeth the commandment. Now this is where we begin to pick up. Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. So uh, the royal decree that goes out, the commandment, we're to keep it. And we'll not have to suffer any penalties uh, for breaking the laws of the of the land, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. A wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. A wise man's heart knows where where to speak and when to speak and when to act. He discerneth both time and judgment. In verse six, and we'll pick it up verse by verse now, because to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. You know, men are often evil, and therefore, their miseries are often. They're often in misery. And so misery, a lot of time, comes from our evil. To every purpose, there is a time and judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. So we know that uh, the Bible teaches that when we are uh, do wrong, that we're chastened of the Lord, and God has to correct us. And you know, no... no uh, Correction for the time seems to be uh, pleasant, but grievous, doesn't it? And then verse 7 says, For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? He knoweth not which shall be. Do any of us know what shall be, or who can tell him when it shall be? The outcome, none can predict. You know, we've got a lot of folks today predicting the outcome of everything. They tell you just what's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen next year. And what's going to happen in the near future? And we have a lot of folks predicting the the time of the end and etc. In fact, I got a paper in the mail the other day telling about uh, the last days. And of course, there are a lot of things I don't understand about prophecy. But sometimes they go just a little bit overboard in what they predict. And I hope that some of the things that uh, you read about it are not uh, uh, exactly like uh, some of the so-called prophets of the end time uh, say because if it is well we're going to face a lot of things that I don't think we'll as Christians should face before we're taken out of this world I hope we're taken out before the real trouble starts and that doesn't mean it's not trouble now because it escalates as time goes on in fact the book of Revelation if you'll notice when you begin reading in the sixth chapter of Revelation where the seals begin to be opened that everything begins to just escalate in time and in rapidity and just one thing right after another. And you know as well as I do that uh, uh, when you think of life itself, 
as we grow older, it seems like the days just fly by. When you're just a little boy or a little girl or teenager, it seems like you can never wait until that other future day comes. When you get at our age, you just want them to slow down a little bit because they're leaving too quick, aren't they? So uh, it's true as far as the end of time is concerned, and it'll especially be true during the days of the tribulation. It says, For he knoweth not which shall be, for who can tell when it shall be? The outcome none can predict. In verse 8, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. By the way, with one exception. Who is it? Jesus. There's no man that hath the power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. And by the way, you might reverse that. There's no man that has power to dismiss the Spirit. His own Spirit. And we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. We're talking about the Spirit of man. But Jesus was able to say, didn't He say when He was on the cross, Father, into Thy hands I commit My Spirit. And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. Wish it were that powerful for each of us when we got ready to... Uh, leave this life, we could just leave it. But uh, Jesus had that power, but we do not have that power. Neither hath he power in the day of death. Look at that. And there is no discharge in that war. You cannot beat that battle. You cannot win. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So you're speaking here of uh, consequences of evil that you cannot escape. And man has no power over these things. So that would indicate that if we are going to have... Uh, the right control over our spirit and over at the day of death and the discharge of that war that's spoken of, we must have God's help in the whole matter. No power over death and judgment. Now then verse uh, 9 says, And this have I seen and applied my heart. You know it's a good to apply our hearts, but you know uh, Solomon here, the preacher, was applying his heart to earthly things, basically. We need to apply our hearts to, to heavenly things. There's enough about earthly things that demand our attention, but there's a whole lot more about heavenly things that are more uh, uh, profitable to give our attention to. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done, what? Under the sun. (laughs) Do we just apply all of our attention to everything that's done under the sun? That means the human realm. That means these earthly things. Or do we apply our hearts to the things that have to do with those things that are not done under the sun. The spiritual and the real and the and the uh, lasting and the eternal. You know, when we look back on our lives, when we get to the end of our road, we're going to say, my, this life was short. Remember, old, wasn't it Jacob of old said, few and evil have the days of my life been? Few and evil that I have not attained to those before him, like Abraham and so on. And Isaac, few and evil. Are we going to have a report that these days have been few? And that we put all of our attention on the things that were done under the sun? Or are we going to say that we put some of our, and most of our attention, to the things that, that are spiritual, of a spiritual value and of an eternal value? And we need to examine ourselves concerning this particular thing. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. The injury of being ruled by a tyrant to his own hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. Look, the wicked. The wicked had come and gone to the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Even wicked people have attended the house of God from time to time. But the, the lesson here is that 
Death comes to one and all alike, whether he's wicked or whether he's godly or whoever he may be. Death comes to one and all alike. And by the way, it says, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. Even you and I and God's children and the best of people that try to live a Christian life. We'll live our lives and, uh, and uh, when we're gone in a year or two, a few years, we'll be completely forgotten. And just a, an occasional memory of our names will come back once in a while. Say, I knew a fellow one time. <laughs> and they might bring your name up here and there. But the thing about it is, time will cause men to forget. And it's a sad thing that we can't remember. I try to remember all of those that have come and gone uh, in various ways from time to time in this church. 38 years of, of time that I've seen people live and die and, and go to be with the Lord in this church and from this church and in the community as well, round about. But uh, lo and behold, after so many years, you forget and then you think, well, you know... That person was a member of this church. They helped me back there when we were doing certain things. I remember uh, Tom speaking the other day of, of uh, the fact that when we were pouring the concrete in the basement of this church, he was talking about Brother Shelton. <laughs> we were all down there troweling concrete. Of course, Brother Shelton is too old to get down there with us and not able to do that. But after we was troweling that concrete, and I mean the sun was bearing down and the walls were just half up, you know, and... And there was no, there were up enough on each side. You know how the basement of this church is. Up on enough on each side that there was not a breeze, there was not a bit of air in that sun. It was just like funneling that sun down there. And that concrete was drying fast. And Tom and I and Willie and who else, two or three guys were troweling that concrete. And finally, after we'd been there so long and we were getting pretty hungry, and it's about two or three o'clock, I guess, and Brother Shelton says, I think I'll go get y'all a hamburger. <laughs> and he did, and we sure appreciated it. Had something cool to drink. We couldn't, we could hardly take time to eat it, but we, we got the job done. But you think of people that have come and gone and have contributed. You know, Tom comes up here in the wintertime or sometime occasionally when he can come from Fort Worth, but a little, I, I imagine very few people knew that he helped us pour the concrete down there in the basement and that we were down there trialing that concrete. But uh, anyway, a lot of things happen. But let's remember the good things about folks uh, in our lives because there's been a lot of contributions of both labor and of, of uh, money and of sweat and tears and prayers and every other thing that's gone into to the history of this church. And we're thankful for every member of it to this present day. We have a lot of sweet people that, have, that are members now that are faithful, and the older ones have come and gone. And in fact, uh, uh, there's hardly any of the folks that we used to have here. We call the roll of names of the ones that's here. And just recently, you and I all have missed one that's kind of joined both of us together, and that was uh, Odie and some of the other older ones that have passed on. So, in verse uh, 10 it says, And I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Because sentence, look, this is a good verse, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Can you see what's happening there? A man says, Because God has not judged sin, that he's not going to. Because it's not executed speedily. Because God doesn't strike a fellow down when he does something wrong. 
He thinks it's all right. You know, we have a whole society that, that lives kind of like this. They think, well, you know, there must not be a God because people are doing this and that and they get by with it. And after all, there just must not be any judgment because he would have already done something. He's in no hurry, but by the way, that's no... Uh, that's not any conclusion to come to because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Now I want you to notice something else. Look at the scripture there. Therefore the heart. You see the word heart is singular, isn't it? The heart. The heart. Look. Of the sons of men. The sons is plural. The sons of men have one heart as far as evil is concerned. The heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You see, man by nature is a sinner. You say, oh, this guy's got a wicked heart. Well, do, do, do not all... The Bible says the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're really all of one heart. The only thing that makes a difference is what the verse of Scripture we gave you this morning in Ezekiel that says, God, God says, I'll give them a new heart, a heart of, of flesh, and I'll give them a new spirit. And the only person that's different is the one that has a new, new heart and a new spirit from God. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. They think they can get by with it. Did you know God's work of judgment is spoken of in the Bible as His strange work? It's His strange work. He doesn't want to bring judgment. Jesus said, I came not to bring condemnation, right? To condemn the world. But what? But to say. And so, we were already condemned. We didn't have to have any help in that, did we? And it says in verse 12, Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, look, a sinner, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. Well, listen, if God does not punish a sinner, and He prolongs His days from time to time, we see that it happens then surely those that fear God, God is going to take care of them. Surely, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. The Bible teaches that God is merciful, even to those that do not deserve mercy. Most of us don't. But it's surely true that God will honor those that fear Him. Fear means to reverence Him, to stand in awe in His presence. Fear before Him. And fear His power as well. Verse 13 it says this, but it shall not be well with the wicked. The ultimate end of the wicked is going to be bad. Neither shall he prolong his days. So you say, well, that's a paradox. That's reversed to what it says in the verse before. There are certain instances that we don't understand why some wicked men and sinners, their, pro days, their days are prolonged and others, they're cut short because of their evil. And the Bible says, he that... Being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall what? Suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. So sometimes God does enact his uh, time of cutting short the wicked and not prolonging his days. Shall be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, but which are as a shadow. The Bible says our life is as a shadow that declineth. The Bible says your life is as a hand breath. The Bible says your life is but even as a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanishes away. So it's very short, isn't it? And then it says, which are as a shadow because he feareth not before God. So we come to this conclusion, if God is so long-suffering with the wicked, then surely God has not forgotten those that fear him. Verse 14, we begin to come to the conclusion of this, this chapter. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, 
that there be just men unto whom it happened according to the work of the wicked. You know, there are so many mysteries in thinking that, you know, if a man is just, he's going to live a long, happy life. And if a man is wicked, he's going to be cut off immediately. But there are so many paradoxes. There are so many things that seem to be contradictory. And here's one of them. There is, there is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there is a... There be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. And again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said this is that this is also vanity. To try to understand that is beyond us. And sometimes when Brother Randy and I preach funerals, someone might say, well, why is that person such a good person taken out of this life so quickly? And you and I have both heard it commented from time to time about someone who is terribly evil and wicked and just, you know, really not very good, a good person and mean, mean-hearted. He just seemed like he lives on and on. We don't know why this is the case. We don't understand why it's the case. But God doesn't want us to understand that. If He did, He'd tell us in every instance. He'd say, this is where it's going to be. If you're good, you're going to live a hundred years. And if you're bad, you're going to live fifty. He'd just split it down the middle. See, wouldn't it? But He doesn't do that. He leaves it in a mysterious way so that we'll learn that it's our business to be righteous and be good and trust God with our lives and then not to be envious of the wicked and the foolish and the prosperity of the wicked. Remember Psalm 73 says, uh, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, and I've given you this lesson time and time again, but it's still a good one to bring up, my feet were on slippery ground. He says they speak out against the heavens. They curse. They, they're not afraid of death. Oppression is one of them. They don't, they're no, don't care about oppression. They don't care about speaking evil against God. They, don't, uh, they stand up and they'll uh, speak bad words against the Holy One, God. And then the psalmist said, Surely I have washed my hands in innocency. I've cleansed my heart in vain. What good did it do for me to become a Christian? I just don't understand it. And then finally, in the middle of the chapter, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I got in the presence of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou hast put them in slippery places. They're the ones that's on slippery ground, not me. And he began to realize that the end of the matter was far different than it appeared to be. And sometimes you and I, we don't understand. Look at this verse again. Uh, there is a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to uh, the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said this that this is also vanity. By the way, it is vanity if you try to figure that out. And then verse 15. It says, Then I commended mirth. I commended mirth. Because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. That's a very foolish assumption, isn't it? That there's nothing better to do than to just be uh, all-time hilariously happy, false soul, and to just try to eat and drink and to enjoy this life and think that's all there is to it. That's a very foolish assumption. We're to thank God for what we have under the sun. We're to thank God for the necessities of life. But to think that this is the only way to look at it to commend mirth, and that a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. Remember, we're taught that uh, one said, 
I will eat and drink and be merry. I'll say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years, and uh, uh, take thine ease. The rich farmer in Luke chapter, what is it, 12? And he didn't know that God said, God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. I'll put an end, I'll put an end to this merrymaking that you think is the only thing that this life is for. Notice the next verse, verse 16. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. He applied his heart to know wisdom. Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. He finally came to the conclusion that a man cannot find out, that we do not understand, even though we profess that we may understand, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it out. Have you ever seen folks that say, well, I've got it all figured out? We don't have anything figured out, to tell you the truth. We're just living day by day, hoping that God gives us a little enlightenment as we go along. Thank God that we do have the revelation, His Word, that teaches us the principles and the practices that we're to follow. And by these, the Bible says that Godliness is profitable unto all, having the promise of what the life that now is and of that which is to come. We know God says it pays off. So that's, a good, that's good enough for me. Let's live it that way. And do not try to figure out all the mysteries of it. It says, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Even a wise man thinks he knows it. He doesn't know it. I want you to notice chapter 9, verse 1. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. That's, that's a pretty good statement, that they're in the hand of God. Who are they? The righteous and the wise and all their works. Their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. Verse 2 says, All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked. As far as this life is concerned, what is it? All of us have to live on the same plane. You remember Jesus said that uh, God makes His rain to fall upon what? The just and what? The unjust. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked. To the good and to the clean. To the good and to the clean and to the unclean. To him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. So he that sweareth and he that feareth an oath. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil. And madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, that... They go to the dead. Men are sinners, and all men are sinners. You know, this kind of couples everything together, the good and evil. In fact, if you remember chapter 7 and verse chapter seven and verse uh, 20, it says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now then, we know that there's, not, there's certainly not a wicked man that does good and sinneth not. But he says, There's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You know, if we could categorize categorize ourselves in the category of mankind, we'd say, like the Bible does, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we would, we actually would see ourselves as Christians only sinners saved by grace. That's what we'd see ourselves. We divide ourselves nowadays, saved and lost, that's true. That's the relationship men have 
in their relationship to God, they're either saved. But we're all sinners saved by grace. And if we, if it were not for the grace of God, you and I could could be, we might not be, but we could be just as wicked as the worst on skid row, on drugs, on alcohol, in the slums, in the down and out. And because of the sinfulness of life, we could be there. We could be the most wicked person. We could be uh, wicked of heart and go out and, and commit terrible crimes. But for what? The grace of God that saved us and changed us and made us what we are now. You look back on your life and you think of the time before decisions were made and before the important things. And the most important thing is getting your life in, in tune with God, accepting Christ, and then getting on the right road to do the things God wants you to do. Before that, before your decisions were being made in the proper way, well, you could have gone any direction. You could have gone any direction. The women could have been the harlots on the street. The men could have been the most uh, terrible drug dealers or uh, alcoholics or whatever. They, we could have been uh, terrible off in our lives. And we need to pray for those who are caught in those traps. And there are many that are. And there's families that are close to us that are in situations today. By the way... Unmentioned prayers, as I said this morning. Okay, uh, we'll go on with this. It says in verse 4, For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. The smallest measure of life, there is hope. Have you ever thought about if there's no hope? The Bible speaks in Ephesians 2 of those that have no hope and are without God in the world. There's not anything more sad than having no hope. If there's just a little hope that things will be better, that things will turn around, that one ray of light, the smallest measure of light, there's hope. For the living dog, look, last part of verse 4. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. It's very self-evident. I heard a man say one to me one time, we was talking about the way certain per, a person died, and, and we was talking, there's an old-timer here, sitting down there at Gibson's building, drinking a cup of coffee. And uh, anyway, he's gone now too. But the thing about it is, he said, Brother Joyce, he said, dead is dead. And that's true. It says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. And we need to realize that that is the final step and that there's no recalling that. Only God is able to resurrect. And he will someday. We can look forward to that. But as far as this life, as far as now is concerned, life is so precious that I don't see why so many people want out of it. I don't want to... I don't want to rush it, do you? I hope I'm ready when the Lord gets ready to take me home. And I try, I try to prepare day by day to, for that. And I think everyone should. But, and be ready at all times. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. We don't know when it's going to happen. But I, I'm not anxious for it to happen. Because I want to live as long as God has a purpose for me living. And uh, I desire life. I love life. And when the time comes for me to go to be with the Lord and meet my loved ones that have gone on before, that'll be a different story. But right now, I want to... You know, Paul said, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, but he says it's more needful that I live. He, Paul had a ministry. He had a service. And he had a life. And that's the way I feel about it. I have a life to live and a ministry to fulfill. And I want the last days to be just as good as the first, if not better. I remember old Dr. Lakin. Some of you have heard of him, seen him, heard him preach. He was in his late 80s, I think. And I heard him preaching. And he said, uh, you know, he says... Uh, and he had, he had pastored big churches. He had been an evangelist all over the country and all over the world as far as that goes, Australia and up in 
various parts of the world. And he said, you know, he says, after all my preaching, he says, I feel, feel like now, and he was in his late 80s, this is my best time of my ministry. Can you imagine a man saying that? Been preaching all his life? Well, it's, it's a great thing to feel that you're finally getting to the place that you uh, want to minister and serve in a better way all every day. And I'm just kind of now trying to learn how. I'll be 70 years old in March, March 2nd. And I'm still learning. I'm trying to learn how to preach. Say, preacher, I thought you... A lady one time, she went out of the church and, and well, she called out the house. And it was on Saturday and I was studying. and She's talking to my wife and she says, wanted to talk to Brother George. She says, okay, I'll get him. But says, he's in his study. He's studying. She says, studying? Says, I, so he can preach tomorrow. She says, I thought he'd learn how to preach in the seminary. Brother, if that's all the studying you ever did, you wouldn't get up and... Isn't that sad? Preachers have to study. I'll tell you one thing. I would feel guilty as everything if I didn't put at least two or three hours in a message before I come to church. And I'm talking about even this. You say, preacher, it's easy to get up there and read the Scripture, but you better have a few things to say about it once in a while. And you can tell if a person is never prepared for anything. Isn't there... Isn't the most disgusting thing you've ever heard is for a preacher to grace the pulpit on Sunday morning and not even have a message and doesn't act like he's even opened this book? I mean, that's disgusting. You say, that guy wasn't prepared. And you can tell it. Everyone can tell it. Not only does he know it, but everyone else knows it. And it doesn't take long to figure it out, does it? So, it says here, look at the verse uh, verse 5. It says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything. Let's stop for a moment. Have you ever heard some people say, That's it. When you die, it's all over. But it says that is done under the sun. As far as this life is concerned, That's all it's referring to. But we live on, and our memory goes on, and our life goes on as Christians. You see, we depart to be with Christ, which is far better. And the psalmist said in Psalm 23, what did he say? He said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He's talking about this life now. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And then he says, Yea, though I walk through... The valley of the shadow of death. Not into, but through it. It's a valley. And if there's a shadow, there's got to be a light, right? You can't have a shadow without a light. He says, thou art with me. There has to be companionship. The Lord is holding your hand. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, my cup runneth over. And he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I mean, it's this life and then into the eternity and forever with the Lord. So this is talking about the things done under the sun. Look at verse 5 and 6 again and see that it relates to this life only. For the living know not that they shall die, and know that they shall die. But the dead know not anything. Well, the dead do not know anything as far as the body is concerned. Neither have they any more reward. By the way, that's true. You're not going to accomplish anything for God when you're in the grave. 
For the memory of them is forgotten, and that we've already dwelt upon to a certain extent. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. All that's gone. They can't love and hate anymore. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything. What? That is done under the sun. This life is over. Not talking about the next life. Verse 7 says, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy, the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. And so we, we need to realize that these blessings of life, though temporal, are great and, and really do come from God. And enjoy them to the extent that God wants us to enjoy them. But to not put all of our stock upon vain things. You know, uh, Paul said that the things of this life are temporal. But he thinks, he said the things of, uh, of, that we cannot see are eternal. All the things of this life are temporary. Everything here, material-wise, physical-wise, uh, domestic-wise, all that pertains to our life and our well-being, is temporal. But it's all a time of preparation for eternity. We need to think more seriously about what kind of treasure we're laying up. Jesus said, Lay not for, up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where three thieves break through and steal. But he says, Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through nor steal. And he says, Where your heart is, there will you treasure. Treasures, there will your heart be also. Let's learn to treasure the heavenly and spiritual things. You know, the greatest treasure to me are the spiritual blessings that you and I enjoy. It's good to give something to one another, and we appreciate the thought and the love that's 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 uh, uh, made known in it. Our brother Wendell doesn't know how happy he made just by making me a staff. Did you ever see my shepherd's staff he made me? You'll have to see it sometime. He made me a shepherd's staff. And it looks like the one Moses used to part the Red Sea. I thought about trying it, but I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, it's beautiful. I really appreciate it. He carved it out, and, and it, it's real pretty. Uh, if you doubt how sometime, we'll have me show it to you. Those kind of things, they mean a great deal to me because it's love. It's, it's in various other ones that have done things for us in the church, uh, there's almost everyone here has done things of that nature Amen. that I can appreciate, and I do. But uh, these things that God has given us under the sun are to be taken for their value and that alone. Because one of these days, we're going to leave it all behind. We came in this world without anything. We're leaving without anything. And that's the way it's going to be. It says in verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. We're told three things here. What and how and why. What, what is, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with thy might. That's how. Do it with enthusiasm. For, and for there is no work, this is why, because there is no work beyond this. Might, you might underline whatsoever, and then the word with, and the word for there. That tells you what, and how, and why. Because there is no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. So whatever we do in this life has to be done here and now. You've heard the little poem that we quote sometimes, and it's almost universally known among us, uh, that uh, there's only one life. Will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And you know, there's a lot of truth in that. There's more to life than just doing 
than just making and having and possessing and and all the things that are necessary to our uh, pleasure and our comforts. Those are great, and we accept them as God-given, and we certainly should thank God for a roof over our head, for clothes on our back, for food on the table, for the comforts of life. And don't, do not sell them short, because many people in the world do not have them. You can be thankful for them, but uh, let's not think that's all there is. We'll have to pick up with verse 11 in our next lesson. Our time is gone. Chapter 9, verse 11 in our next lesson. We appreciate your attention.